All right, everyone, welcome back to the Mission 300 podcast. We're going to continue a discussion that we started in the last episode here. So if you haven't listened to the previous episode yet, pause this one right now, go back and listen to it because a lot of the things we're going to talk about here will tie into stuff that we kind of built on and discussed in the last episode. But in this discussion, we want to hit a few things before we go off onto bunny trails and into the weeds like we generally do. We're going to tell a few stories from our lives that have impacted us and affected us. We're going to talk about how the effect happened in our lives and you know what difference it actually made. And then we've got some really interesting research that Brian found on just the, the physiological and the psychological effects that telling stories has on people. And it's crazy when you start to see just how wired into your brain this stuff actually is. So let's get into it. I thought I would start off with this quick little story. So these three college students, they're coming up to their final exam and, but they had planned this, this huge hiking trip that they were going to go on. So they just all three decided we're going to skip this exam and we're going to go on the hiking trip. So all three of the students, the exam day came along, the three college students all go out and they do their hike, had an amazing time. But then when they were coming back, they thought we, we probably should do something so that way we can get some kind of excuse so we can get an extension on taking this exam. So when they got back, they put some dirt on their face and some dirt on their clothes and they went into the professor's office and asked for a quick up to the the professor's assistant and said, can we get a meeting with the professor to explain why we weren't there for the exam? So they went in and the the professor was kind enough, let them come in and they explained that they had a blowout on one of their tires on their way to school and they got stuck having to fix it. And so they just were able to get here now. And that's why they weren't able to be for the exam. The professor was so kind about the whole thing and just really understanding and full immersed. And he said, you know what? No problem. I'll give you guys three days and then you can take the exam then. And this, the students were so thankful and they, they went out and they're like, yes, we got now three more days to study for this exam and we got to go on our hike. It was what a, what a great day they were feeling. So three days go to pass and they come in to take up the makeup exam and the professor all met him and was real gracious to him and said, I hope you guys are prepared. It's a hundred point test, but there's only two questions on the exam. So what he did is he took each student and he goes, but you have to take it in a separate room. So he took the three students and put them in each separate rooms. Then he went into each room and explained what the, what the test questions were. So the first question was, did you study for the test? And with that answer was worth 50 points. Then there was the second question on the test. It was multiple choice, A, B, C, or D. Which tire blew out on the car? Nice. <laughs> Don't we find that even in a joke when there's some kind of a story, and I'm not the best storyteller, but it, it pulls you in and you're like, it, it, it starts doing something, but then there's like this moral or there's this truth or this understanding that starts coming out in the story and it, it, it affects us. And I know we were talking about this last week. So I thought we'd just continue exploring it because I found some research and some different things that are really powerful when it comes to storytelling, much greater than information can ever do to us. So with that, I thought I would, I would kick off uh, with three questions for today. Um, so we can get a little more personal. Think about the story in your life at any time that impacted you the most. Don't say the story we want to hear that impacted you the most, but the story that ultimately impacted you the most. How did it affect you? Did it change your view? Did it change your perspective? Or did it just reinforce an ideas that you already had? And how did you view yourself in that story? So that's kind of what I wanted to hit today. And then we'll go through some of this research. So I thought I'd kick off with uh, any of you guys want to, Caleb, Tommy, Jason, if you wanted to uh, take off on the story that's affected you the most. I think the story that has affected me the most, there's lots of stories that have affected me that I can think of, but I think one sticking out to me right now is... Well, first of all, I'm 
not much of a sports person or anything like that. But when I was a kid, uh, my dad took me to a basketball court just to play basketball because it was like middle school and I was into basketball and all that. And I remember, I can't remember if it was my friends or something. It's all kind of blurry, but I remember just struggling the whole time playing basketball and feeling like I was just the smallest kid on the court, the weakest. And I felt like I was just getting trampled around while playing basketball. And like, I mean, I never went on to do anything with my life in basketball, but after I just had this bad attitude the whole way home with my dad, like, I hate basketball. I'm never playing again, all this stuff. So we got to the house and I was sitting there like, I don't even want to go inside. It was just a bad day. And I just remember my dad pulling out a piece of paper and like he drew these stick figures and I can't even remember the whole story, but it was basically like this tiny stick figure and he kept on fighting these bigger stick figures. And the more that he fought them or like got past them, the stronger he got. And I can't remember the story. It was probably like amazing to me as a kid of what would be simple now, but I think it was more the illustration and story of like, even though you're smaller and less capable, like you can become more than what you are is what I remember from the story. If I had to articulate it now. And it was just like really simple and silly then. And I was like, just upset that I had gotten beaten in basketball so badly. But I think that's a story that has impacted me the most was just a simple illustration of a story of stick figures on a piece of paper. Would you say at that moment, did something kind of lift inside of you or did, was there, what, what changed? Okay. So you're sitting in the car, not wanting to go inside after you heard the story, did something shift for you the rest of the evening or was it later on that you pondered it? I think, well, I think I remember the story first of all, because it was just the oddest thing. Like normally my dad would just tell me how it is and stuff or, you know, if he was correcting me, if I had a bad attitude, but this time he pulled out a piece of paper and drew stick figures. And I think it caught me off guard in that moment enough to where like it actually changed my attitude right then and there. And with the story too, I kind of was like this illustration of the small stick figure being eventually beating these bigger stick figures, the more he grew and stuff. I was like, okay, that's exactly how I feel written out here. So I guess I could do that too. And I think ever since then, like not that that story completely changed my life, but I think it has changed how I see stuff of like, if I feel, if I'm comparing myself to other people, like I think it's changed how I see myself as not, even if I am less capable, I can still grow from that and everything. So I think right then and there, it kind of changed my perspective. And I kind of, I think once I got out of the truck and went inside, I was like, ready to go on out on the basketball court the next day and find the biggest person there to be like take me out and I'll still get up and stuff and granted I didn't even really play basketball that much after like that year or whatever but it still changed my perspective for a lot of things well there's another irony is you actually now are the biggest guy on the court you tower over all of us so Good job. Yeah, I true. guess the stories had, true. had a, yeah. a literal effect. Yeah, it physically affected me. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Tommy? I have a story that kind of hits a little bit more home recently. Um, my grandpa passed away in January, um, but I have kind of like a favorite story that has kind of come to meaning now more than ever. Um, so when I was little... My grandpa, my brother, and I, we like to go fishing. And, like, we loved fishing off the boat and everything. And we'd always go up to his, my grandpa's brother's cabin. And so we'd fish off the boat there. And, you know, I was always the one catching all the fish. And it was so great. But one thing I didn't know how to do, and this is when I was around probably six or seven years old, is I didn't really know how to cast off the dock. I'd never really... I'd always fished off the boat and my grandpa had always helped me. But this one particular weekend, I remember him being like, okay, we're going to teach you how to fish off the dock. So we don't always have to go out on the boat when you want to fish. And so, you know, he took me out that weekend and he started showing me how to do it, taking a step and, you know, letting out your line and throwing it or whatever. Um, I don't remember the exact steps, but I could probably do it if you, if you asked me to. 
Um, but then he went up onto the deck at the cabin, which was probably, I don't know, it was pretty far from the dock. Um, and he went, you know, sit with his brother and catch up because they, it was, they lived like three or four hours away from each other. So that was the only time to catch up. And I just remember casting and that's, I just kept doing it over and over again. And if, with each step, with each cast, I would take a step. So I just kept taking a step and taking a step until one time I just took one step too far and I just went right into the water. And the rest of this is not from my perspective. It's from what I've heard from like friends and family and people that were there is that, well, what I remember is I remember going underneath the water and I remember seeing like a huge fish under the dock, but you know, I was six or seven. So I don't, <laughs> I don't know if that's the case, but the real part of the story is that my grandpa jumped out of his chair and ran down the dock, um, which if, I don't know if you guys know my grandpa, but he was kind of a heavier set guy. So he, he never ran. He like, he was not a runner and he ran down the dock and he, I had my fishing rod and my hat. I had a twins hat. That was my favorite. And my fishing rod still on perfectly. And my grandpa grabbed the rod and just pulled me right out of the water, right onto the dock, just like nothing happened. (laughs) And it was, it's just a really funny story. I think, um, for me, it's just funny, you know, from knowing my grandpa and all that, but I think the bigger sense of the picture for me that now has kind of developed is, um, he's passed now and I kind of see how that story reflected Jesus and how that reflects Christ's relationships with me and how, when you take a step out and you're learning something new with God that there is going to be a point where you take a step too far and you feel like you're free falling you're like you're drowning, but that God or Jesus is always there to pull you out and, you know, have you start over and start afresh and put on new clothes, get dry and do all that stuff. So I think that that's the story that has impacted me a lot recently. And it's really just shown me like the love and grace of God and, I don't know. It means a lot to me. And I think it's something that I can remember my grandpa for and it, you know, leaves a good memory for myself. So Mm. when you, when you look back on that story, um, obviously you're, you're a part of the story. Have you ever heard your grandpa's view of that story? I, I haven't heard his view, but I can imagine from his view of what what was going through his mind, you know, as he sees his grandson take a step into the water or take a step off the dock, not knowing how to swim with no life jacket on or anything. And just, I I could picture from his story thinking like my grandson's about to drown right in front of me. And I'm, you know, if I don't do anything, he, he dies, you know, you know, the first one that came to my mind when we were talking about this, and I actually wasn't sure if, if I wanted to, if I wanted to bring it up or not, because some people might take it the wrong way, but you know what? I don't care. So I remember when I was a kid, I was probably maybe around 10 years old, give or take a few years. I don't exactly remember, but I remember my dad talking to me and uh, I had kind of a temper as a kid, which most people don't believe knowing me now, but I had a bit of a temper as a kid. And I remember my dad taking me aside one day and telling me a story about when he was in college and how he, you know, he was, he was in the Marine Corps. So he was a tough guy. Like he's got Popeye forearms. That's the, just the build of my dad. And it was crazy. He was telling me the story of when he was in college and how he had to learn to deal with anger because there was one day where they were in their dorm and one of the guys on in his, you know, uh, on the floor or whatever in the building was just being really vulgar and just being really crass and extremely disrespectful to some other people. And my dad was telling me he got so mad that he actually blacked out. And when he came to, he had picked up the guy with one hand and had him up by like a foot pinned against the wall. And he was, he was hurting the guy. And he, he told me that story and he said, I realized at that moment, God, you've got to help me work with this because I, I'm not going to be an angry person that's a danger to people around me. And so he was started to talk to me about how 
you need to have strength and to be strong, but you have to learn how to control that. And especially since you're my son, you're going to have to learn what that looks like for us. And a couple of years later, that actually came to pass. One of my cousins was over for the summer for a few months and he was, you know, probably five years older than me. And he had taken my bike. We lived out in the country and he just took my bike and went down the road. And I picked up a rock. I was so mad. And I chucked it at him and I missed his head by about an inch and a half. And that was kind of my moment where I remembered my dad's story. And I sat down. I'm like, you know what? This is a real thing. I've got to take this seriously. And I started as a kid talking with God. Okay. What does it look like for me to control my anger? To the point where going through high school and college, I genuinely became an extremely patient person. Like people would call me the most patient person they've ever met. And that comes in handy now because I have four kids and they can try your patience at times. But I just remember that moment, how it instilled, this is something that you need to be aware of. And it put me in that position. Like this is something you're going to have to face in life. And here's how you do it. I don't mean to paint the picture like my dad was some crazy, angry person. He's really not. He's the nicest guy you're, you'll ever meet, especially now that he's, he's old. Sure, he'll appreciate that. <laughs> dad, if you're listening, love you. In any of the changes that you guys did, do you, or the modification, if you're, someone just told you do this, or be safe on the dock, or... Don't let big guys push you around. You'll grow up eventually. Or um, just control your temper. Stop being angry. Yeah. Bad for you. Why did these stories affect a change? But I'm sure you've heard all of those other things before. Did those change you? The story made it real to me. Because it was something I put myself in. But in the story, but also in reality, like, okay, this is something that's part of my reality now too. It's not just information. It's not just my mom yelling from the porch, you know, be nice or something like that. So here's what's interesting is in this talk of stories, and I, I, we, I think we mentioned on the last podcast too, we, we were talking about how Jesus spoke in parables. Something came up that someone, uh, my wife, Valerie, she's getting ready to go to this study. And one of the questions they're going through Timothy. And as we were just pondering Timothy, one of the questions was addressing, this is kind of the manual of how to deal with church government and church leadership and how to pick and how to choose and what the church should look like and all of those things. And I, I found it interesting that in reading Timothy, if you step back and look at Timothy from a story, so this isn't really trying to go through all this, but I'm, I'm tying what we're talking about into this. So it's interesting, Paul writes a letter to the Romans, the Galatians, the Corinthians, right? He writes to churches, but then he writes Timothy a letter. He didn't write the church a letter, he wrote Timothy a letter. And I found it interesting when you're, you're reading both first and second, if you just look at not what he's telling him to do, but this, my beloved son in the faith, like there's this father son, it's almost like a father sitting down, a son getting ready to go on his adventure for life. Maybe he's graduating from college and the father sits and, and the son has a deep respect for the father and he gives some advice. So here's some things you're going to face. They're going to look at your age. You're going to challenge who you are. Don't forget the prophecies that have been spoken over you. You're going to think you don't have what it takes. Remember the gift I gave you in the laying on of hands. Don't forget who you are, Timothy. When you come across these scenarios, here's how you deal with it. Don't let these other stories water down what you know to be true. And he goes through this whole thing. And, and if you read it from a story... All of a sudden, it makes sense of anything you deal with in life, not just how to set up a church government or anything like that. In fact, I think we actually strip away the essence of the whole story, even though there's truths in that. Without the story, you don't get the essence of what Timothy was dealing with and who Timothy was. So as interesting as we we're talking about this, trying to look at these things from a narrative of a story versus 
here's the facts, here's how to deal with the facts, because we know how many times has this been read in maybe a church leadership meeting? Just, just think probably over hundreds of years, this letter has been read in church leadership meeting, yet all the same problems still exist. And we're reading it today to solve church problem things. And I'm not saying there's not an application for that, but he knows it doesn't change something. But to Timothy, he changed because it was personal. It was a story. It was, it was something that he connected with. So this kind of ties us over into this research I came across. Not always a big fan of some of these news sites, but when they're dealing with stuff that's more neutral, it, they actually can put off some pretty good information. So this is coming from NPR News and it's a article by the professor of psychology, Yuri Hassan. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Yuri Hassan, professor of psychology and neuroscience at Princeton University. So they had this whole research team do this study on what happens in the brain when someone listens to a narrative, a story. And it is really quite fascinating. And they found that the greater the listener's comprehension, the more closely the brainwave patterns mirrored those of the storyteller. So actually, when you're listening to a narrative, they found that you actually start connecting to the author of the, of the story. Your, your brain starts syncing with them. Isn't that profound? When we're reading a story about Jesus and we take time to meditate it and get into the story, you actually start syncing with the author of the story, which is really powerful because if you don't have time to like connect personally, if something comes to you and it feels personal, you can connect with that author in a way just through the story, but not necessarily through information. Uh, it also goes on when you listen to a story, your brain synchronizes. The other thing is reading a narrative activates brain regions involved in deciphering or imagining a person's motives and perspective research is found. So you can actually discover the motives and perspective when a story is being told versus information. And I just think that's really a, just a, a profound idea, which is probably why when you read the Old Testament stories, like think about Nehemiah, Esther, uh, um, Ezra, you think about the book of Judges, you think about the characters, they're written in story form. But when you're reading it from a narrative, there's something that synchronizes you into that story versus trying to pull one verse and do an expose on that one verse. That doesn't do the same as the story itself. And now research is even finding out that this is a true idea, which is part of the reason why most of the things were written in story form, so they could be passed down from generation to generation to generation, and they never got forgotten. Like some of our oldest stories, stories that we read about today, are really pickups of these ancient stories that were laid out. Um, one quick thought was, they did an interview with the latest King Arthur movie was done by King Arthur movie was done by uh, Guy Ritchie, the legend of the sword. And I remember an interview when he was talking about how he came up with this story and how he comes up with his other movies and how he comes up with his stories. And he says, it's really quite simple. It all comes back to the Bible. The story really is an essence spinoff of Cain and Abel. So it's, my point is, is how you take these old ancient stories that are cemented, that we have new stories that come, but they can all be trickled back. But the point was, think about how powerful that story is affecting even people that you wouldn't necessarily call Bible-believing Christian people. But that story is still affecting how they're viewing and how they're, they're, they're shadowing new stories into life. So this idea of story is so powerful. And so I, I think one thing I wanted to ask you guys is when you guys were reading that research paper, what, what was kind of standing out to you of the power of that? And maybe what could we do differently to really grab that when we're interacting with people? One of the things they mentioned in the article is that um, 
there's different ways to communicate information, like they say lists of or charts and things like that, which are useful for certain situations. But it really made me think that, you know, historically, that's how things were passed down through the telling of stories. And then writing and then the printing press. And we had all these things on printed paper, the written word. And we always, at least I always looked at that as, well, what a good thing, because now things are more accurate. We can actually rely on that more than someone telling a story from experience or from memory. And there's probably some truth to that. But at the same time, if there's one thing I've learned over the years, it's that information by itself written on a piece of paper or viewed on a screen does not change someone. I mean, it can, but that's not how people operate. What changes people is when they emotionally connect to something. And we were talking about how the, their brainwaves will actually sync up a bit. That's the emotional connection that I've experienced and that I see other people experience when they're telling a story. And so maybe we've kind of devalued that because we can just write things down, because we can just text things. In fact, just this last week alone, if I had a dollar for every time someone misunderstood what someone else is saying in a group text, I, I'd be able to pay all your student loan debt, Tommy, Caleb, myself included. It happens all the time. But the second those people are face-to-face and communicating and explaining what's going on, then things are cleared up. And I can't help but wonder if we've missed something in in our communication, just as people, but also in a church setting, when we've made it all about, we'll just go read this list of things. Just get this one little verse bumper sticker and put it on your car instead of here's the story that is being communicated here, especially when we look at the Old Testament, because we see that as here's your 10 commandments, here's your 613 commandments, here's your list of things. And we wonder why people don't connect with that now or even back then. So for me, one of the things that stood out was you know, how do I start communicating more in that frame and not expecting people to just, well, you have this information on a piece of paper, so that should fix you, right? Yeah, I think one thing that stuck out to me is that it says um, in a couple paragraphs down, it says people are more likely to change their lifestyles when they see a character they identify with making the same change. And it's interesting because I was thinking your story, Jason, like you saw something in yourself that you identified with your father and you saw the change that he made not to analyze your story but it's almost like you became more likely i like in a silly way i saw myself as the tiny stick figure and these big stick figures as the other people i identified with the tiny one that was struggling against these bigger people and then i was like oh i can make the change that my in the story that my dad's making up because it was funny and caught my attention. And so I think it's interesting because it's like, we have to identify with the story that's being told or characters in the story. Otherwise I don't think it'll affect us as much either. Like I think in the Bible, like when Paul says I'm chief among sinners, when he's writing to these people who are probably like, how can I even live up to the standards that you're calling me to that? But then Paul identifies himself as like, one of the worst and so it's like when you give um your characters and stories like ways to identify with people it's almost like this sense of like camaraderie with a person and story even if you don't know them and it also gives you like this feeling for me anyways of like if they can do it so can I in a way in an encouraging way and I think that's a way that stories affect us because it's not just the information like an equation you can't identify with numbers and variables that equal out something like this information is this is how it's going to change you because i said so but you can identify with somebody who had struggles and emotions and different things that affected them in their story the same way it's affecting you so that way you have more courage and hope that it can change for you as well i think for me what stuck with me about the article is at the end here, it says about a vivid emotional story can give the extra push to make it feel um, more real or more important. And when you look at somebody's beliefs, they've changed. It's because it's hit them in the heart. And with even in like business school, we can see how I've been seeing how stories can change how we communicate and how we persuade. Um, with my internship, I'm going in this um the spring here 
Um, I was in a sales meeting and they were talking about how stories need to be implemented into the sales process because customers don't connect to facts, but they will connect to stories where, hey, you know, this guy used our system and it helped increase by X, Y, Z, da, 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 da. And then the customer thinks, wow, that guy is in a similar position that I'm in and that could help me there. Um, and I also, with a class that I'm taking in school too about um, data and managing data and data validation and modeling, the professor said, yeah, these charts are all great, but they're not nothing if you have a story to move into that you can give to the stakeholders, you can give to whoever you're presenting to. Without a story, this means nothing. So I just thought the the hits them in the heart part is so true. A story does do that. And when you get that heart poke, it's like that, and then it becomes a part of you. And then you let it come in. Then you let the facts marinate and actually become one with you. Kind of also speaks to how, how dangerous that can be going either way. Like you can create a story that leads someone in a wrong way or a right way. I don't remember if we talked about this in the last episode, but I remember uh, seeing a billboard years ago and it said one in five children in America suffer from hunger. And that hits you, especially when they have a picture in the background of the text where it's just this hungry kid who looks very sad. That hits you literally in the heart, like the article said. And I was really curious about that. So I went and looked up the study afterwards. I, I wish I had it bookmarked because I don't have it right now. But I remember looking into the details of that study. And one of the questions they asked kids in the study was, have you ever been hungry when it was bedtime? And if a kid answered yes, then they marked them as a kid suffering from hunger in America. And I remember thinking, that's so messed up because that's not the picture you're painting. My kids have gone to bed hungry at times. That doesn't mean they're starving. But you've told this story now because of the facts, and you've laced the story and the facts together to get what you want out of it. So how do you decipher through that? How do you, how do you decipher through a story that is true and a story that's manipulated to try to connect you into something? And let me give you let me give you an example. Um, the Harvard Review did a there's a venture capitalist who wrote an article in the Harvard Review in the, in the importance of stories. And before they invest and they bring capital to a new entrepreneurial startup or an entrepreneurial endeavor, they have some interview questions that they go through. And I think it's fascinating what the questions are. The first one is, how did you grow up? What's your childhood like? What was your life like? Second was, what were the past success and struggles you've had to deal with? What'd you have to overcome? What'd you have to face? What did you have victory in? What did you lose in? Why do you want to pursue this big idea? Why do you want to go after it? What's in it for you? What's your, what's your motivation? What's your thinker? What's your, what's your inspiration to this? Is it based off an experience you had when you were younger that you didn't have any clothes because the clothesline kept falling down because you lived in a rainy area. So you invented a dryer. Okay. What, whatever that is, what, what brought you to that point? And what's your underlying purpose? What's your real motive in even doing any of this? So here's the idea you want to bring, but what, what is the thing that you're going to get out of it? What, what, what satisfies you in this whole process? And those were just some of the questions they were asking. I thought it was interesting. They haven't even talked about what the product was. It's almost like they didn't care about what the product was. They wanted to know this individual. And if you ask the right questions, you can get to the backstories and all these other areas. So I think when we're talking about story for the sake of this, we have enough information to get a backstory. We have enough information to see that. Like even the joke that we did at the very beginning, well, I did. We didn't do it together, but you listened patiently. We were along for the ride. You went along for the ride. So in the joke at the beginning, think about really what that professor was doing. He wanted to discover the whole story. So even in the joke of telling the story, there's a way to get to the story and the truth in the story, but without the, the story in and of itself brought about the truth. Does that make sense? Yeah. 
And so there's a way to dissect that. Children have a harder time with that. But if you teach them how to ask right questions, it'll keep connecting them to the narrator. Because that's really who we're trying to know is the narrator, right? Given that, I don't remember what the question I was going to ask you before. You're wondering how we kind of sift through the story to get to the truth. Yeah. Or so, find the truth in the story. So how would you go about that? How, how do you take someone's story, even if it was false, but how can you use that to dig deeper into the backdrop and grab the truth from it? Well, I think in simple terms, you ask questions and you dig deep into those questions of how that response comes to be. In a class today, we, we looked at a chart that was relating like a stock price with GDP and the whole article that this chart came from was saying, oh, the stock, stock market is due for correction. You know, there's going to be a huge stock decline or whatever, you know, the market's going to contract and like it's doom and gloom, like da, 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 da. But then the professor that I was in class was, was like, is there another outlook you can have on this story? And we're all kind of like, uh, I don't know. And we discovered it by asking questions. We said, okay, well, what if, what if GDP changes? How does that change the chart? Oh, is, does the economy need to, need to grow? Does the economy need to shrink? Like, how does that work? And we discovered there's a whole other outlook of the story. You just got to be asking the right questions. So I think part of it is questioning, but I think there's something more. So in the second part to asking the right question is you have to adapt to being a good listener, right? Because yeah. because you're you're now you're listening to decipher and to be more in depth. But think about how that much more that connects you to the narrator. Like in that you almost discover the motives of and the perspective of the person that's bringing the information to. Yeah, I think a huge thing is what you just said there, Brian. And I think it's the person's motivation behind telling the story. And I think the way you get to the motivation is by asking questions and listening. But like on the billboard, you know, what is the point of a billboard? It's to sell something. So the motivation on the billboard is to sell something. So probably went and looked into it because it's like, okay, what are they selling here? And even like, it's kind of like a joke now, but like, I'm not sure if you've ever seen like with America's Got Talent, how they'll tell like, like, it'll be like really emotional stories along with their talent. And that's what get the judges to love them. And there's like this funny video where this guy has like, no talent. But after he's done, like singing this terrible song, he tells like multiple terrible stories of stuff happening to him. And then the judges are like, golden buzzer. Yeah. But it's like, even though it's funny and ironic, like there's a truth to it, because it's like, when you get like, what's that person's motivation for telling a story? So they told all their sad stories to try and get somebody to, you know, feel bad for them or like, you know, manipulate them. But I think like, when it's like, people who have our best interests in mind, like if we know and trust that person, and they tell us a story, then we know their motive is pure and then we can kind of trust the story as well so i think it it's like what you're saying tommy and what you said brian with like asking questions also knowing who you're talking to like we can trust the stories of jesus in the bible because we know his motivation is perfectly pure and that he only has like our best in mind because okay, he wants let me to let me just truth. let me push back just a little bit because someone will how do yeah. you know he has our best interest in mind and his motives are pure uh christianese answer because he's god but christianese answer <laughs> yeah 10 points for Caleb. i think i think it's like what i said a minute ago it's because you have to know him so you have to know that person because by knowing them you know what their motivations are okay Caleb, so like, you're gonna love me here you're gonna love me mm -hmm, mm -hmm. how do you know him hmm. how did you even I, know to know him yeah. So it started with stories from other people that led me into being able to trust him because it came from other sources that I trusted. And then it was just through experience, like of repeatedly doing life and getting to know him more. And he proved himself trustworthy time and time again. So I think it was like over a period of time of gaining trust 
and experiencing that and then seeing that it was true. And that's how I knew. So here, here's what I'm pushing on. Great answer, by the way. Um, but Jason brought up this term frame earlier, your frame, kind of your frame of reference, your point that you look through. So you grew up in a frame where it was almost easier within your frame to adopt some of those ideas. If you grew up yeah. in a Buddhist home or a uh, atheist home or whatever, just pick, pick whatever to come to a truth, which would be more challenging because your frame, it's not necessarily that the truth isn't there, but the frame. So how does stories, and you could still get there. Like you meet a friend that you see their life change. What, tell me your story. Well, here's what happened to me, so on and so forth. So the question is how, how can a story be written in a way that we even, okay, let's say we're communicating the story. How do we step outside of our frame to still bring a truth that could relate to someone else's frame? Well, let me, let me ask this. Let me, let me ask this question. We'll kind of dig around on this for, for a moment. How did Jesus say, I only do what I see my father do? Where did he see him? He lived like us. He was our perfect example. He was all man. He was all God, but how did he see God? And then later on, he says he wants the same relationship for us. So my point is, how did Jesus see him? Because his frame was Levitical law. But he saw something completely different in God. Yet fulfilling of those things. How did he see it? Saw him as his father. Yeah, but how did he get there? God says he's our father now, and people still struggle with that whole idea. He saw himself also as being his son. I think there's two aspects to that. In all the stories of old, which would have been told to him by Joseph, his earthly father, and probably his mother as well. So somewhere these stories connected a narrative that he got to know the person writing that story, and pretty soon he started discovering what he was and, and who he was and how to articulate, and then it it became more real, just like you said, got to know him. And then he knew who his father was. He knew the perspective. He knew the merciful God of the Old Testament, the loving God of the Old Testament. Everything I do, I've only done what I see my father do, right? So Jesus is known as the compassionate, kind, gentle shepherd, feeding the sheep, savior, right? The God of the Old Testament is known as brutal, angry, pure justice, uh, don't cross him or he'll cross you, right? That's kind of the, in general, not necessarily all Christianity, and but the world, but that's kind of like, that's how they view God of the Old Testament. What stories was he reading that he discovered who his father was? I'll give you an example. He gave a little clue. Jesus said, just as Jonah went into the belly of the whale for three days, so the son of man must go in. How in the world did Jesus correlate the belly of the whale and Jonah and himself having to go. I mean, he must have seen some, a truth in there that he connected with. Because he also said, just like Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up. And when the serpent was lifted up, when the people looked on it, they were healed from the poison. So then all those things, and you look at Samson called to deliver the people. And then you have Jesus growing up, reading all these things and looking at the whole point of this was to bring Messiah to bring eternal life to people. And then it also helps to, to cap it off when he's baptized a voice from heaven saying, this is my son, the beloved. But that's, I think that's the difference in how he looked at all those stories versus how we look at them. We look at, Moses, oh, he was angry and he hit a rock. He got frustrated. I better watch out for my frustration. Oh, look at Gideon. He was afraid a lot. I better watch out for my fear and anxiety a lot. I wonder if you could almost say like the law in the Old Testament, because the Pharisees had the law and everything is like facts and information, but the stories in the Old Testament is actually what gets to pe like got to jesus's heart 
I think you could say to for him to know who he was and maybe like that's why the Pharisees had impure hearts because they only had the facts and information. I mean, there's lots of other reasons, but they only had the facts and information and they were missing the stories of the old Testament. That was actually like redemptive stories and stories of what, how like God's character is. And so I think maybe that's part of the way that Jesus saw himself in those stories. There's almost a conflict between those two things, too, because if you look at the Pharisees as the upholders of the technicalities and the information written on paper or written on stone, and then Jesus comes and says to them, your fathers are the ones that killed and persecuted the prophets and the judges in the first place, and you're doing it today still. So there's almost something to this idea that when you're, when you're looking at identity in these stories and how that influences what we do and who we become it's almost like living by the technicalities will actually kill you because it won't produce life and it won't produce the the power the story is trying to convey in you so jason would you say that the stories when we interpret them as them being written to us not just ideas to extract from that means you actually have to listen and actively listen that it's actually being written to you. Absolutely. Like to go back to the story my dad told me, if I were to listen to that story and walk away from it, like, well, man, violence is bad. Then, then what? what, what comes of that in my life? But what made it powerful and impactful in my life is that I saw a truth that in in my father and in me, there is strength that can do a lot of damage or do a lot of good. And I, and you have to learn how to walk with that in life because it's going to be tested and it's going to come out instead of just some little bumper sticker or some slogan of, well, be nice to people. Don't hit, don't push, don't shove. Like that, that changes nothing and it changes no one. And then you'll be looking at the technicalities. Well, I didn't push someone. I punched them in the face, but you didn't say don't punch them in the face. You had don't push them. So, and that's just, that's not who lives that way. And it doesn't change us. Yeah. What's interesting too, is if you think about Jesus when he's on the earth and he knew the truth in the stories and he knew the law just as well as the Pharisees. So he could have just told the disciples the truth, like, told them this is the facts this is everything but he still continued to speak in stories even though he had the perfect truth in him he didn't even like sit there and give them the factual information or anything like that that he knew would be able to change them probably if he said it but he still gave them stories and parables and I almost think it's like like when I was a kid if my dad had said like yeah, you can, you can be the bigger person like within yourself. And even if there is people who are more capable than you, you can still be capable. I think I would have heard that and been like, no, that's not true. Because what's my story that I just experienced today? I did not experience that. That's not true. Because what am I experiencing? But he told me this funny story of stick figures, like it was metaphorical. And it was more like, there was almost something where like the story became more part of me than just the truth itself. So the story kind of is like almost the carrier of truth that reaches us. I think, because even now, like I had never really thought about that story until now. And I never thought about the truth of it. I just remember that story. And until now I just happened to articulate the truth, but I've been carrying that story around, not the truth. So I think in that, but the truth is within the story. So I think that's why stories are so powerful is because there's something about us in our human nature. I don't know how to articulate it properly, but well, that's, I can... that's part of why Jesus spoke in parables in the first place and didn't just say, Hey guys, if you see someone on the side of the road, who's hurt, then help them. He told the parable of the good Samaritan because he knew if I just if I am out there and I just say to everybody, okay, if you see someone who's hurt, be nice to them, 
nothing will change. Like there's other reasons to use parables and it's deeper than that, just that, but that's, it seems to be that's one of the main reasons he did it because that's how you actually communicate deep truths into someone's heart or at least give them the opportunity to receive it. It's one of my favorite passages from a father to a son in the Bible of a kind of this, this story idea, but don't just get the information from it. I, I want to give you something that goes deep and it's interesting, a story has a way to be a canister to take it deeper than your head. Like it kind of settles into a different part of you. Like when Paul tells Timothy, he said, endure hardness as a good soldier. Consider the athlete who can't be crowned unless they compete according to the rules. Consider the hardworking farmer who is the first partaker of the fruits. May the Lord give you understanding in these things. So it's like he gave him three concepts to wrap his head around of how to, how to function in his role and what he was going to go do. And he gave him these three frames, like we were talking about frames. But boy, those are three different frames. Like you brought up mathematics earlier, uh, Caleb, of how it's boring. But it's Galileo that said mathematics are beauty. It's, it's the language of the world. Now, if you were to listen to his story of what he saw in mathematics, like have you ever seen that movie, A Beautiful Mind? The guy went schizophrenic. So my point is, if you do mathematics, you're not going to go schizophrenic. So if you want to extract that from the story, my point was is he saw numbers as beauty. Like he could see something in them. And when someone explains that, I may still not like numbers, but boy, I have a different framework when I'm saying this is creative, this is not creative. I have a completely different framework. So it's, I think it's very interesting is that if we, if we extract all the stories, there is a point where Jesus had a framework of the law, yet he was kind of born outside of the law because of all the problems that he faced. But when he looked into the law, which he loved, he saw something that wasn't legal. He saw himself in all of that. And I, I just think there's, there's just something very profound that if we will listen long enough to the framework, outside of how we want to view what that thing is, I, I think Bernardo is the one who brought it up when we did that podcast a while back. And Bernardo was on here and he, and he said, you know, we, we come from two different worlds. He's black. I'm white. He comes from a community that's predominantly black. I, I came from a community that's prom, predominantly white. We're, we're best friends, but we've had to learn to listen to each other's stories so we can catch a framework of how to function. But then we find how similar we actually are. It's really profound, but stories, it uh, one of these things, I think it was in psychology today. Um, and I'm not saying these are all the best sources. I was just doing some searches for this, but they said, when you listen to a story, you're actually trans when I now listen is a very key word. When you immerse yourself into the story and listen, you're transported to another place and another time. And I thought that was very interesting too, of J.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis, they were dealing with some deep truths to combat some counter-truths in the time period that they live. It was a time of World War I. There was a lot of chaos in the world. There was all this stuff going on. And to create two fantasy stories to explain right and wrong, there wasn't a person that could read those stories and not determine which character was right and which character was wrong. But if you're to put it into everyday life, you would be wishy-washy on it. But when you could get outside of your frame and look at it outside in a different story, it changes, it, and the truths and the false become much more clear in that. I think the coolest thing about those stories is they're not gospel, right? They're not from the Bible. They, they aren't the words of Jesus. They aren't what we as Christians should be 
looking to as like the perfect example, like the book we should always be reading. But we do connect to those stories. And because we see the truth in those stories, the same truth that we see in the Bible. And so I think for me personally, this whole conversation, I'm taking away that as I speak to people, man, I speak in so much Christianese. How do they connect to those stories? They don't, they don't understand those stories. Right? Like one of the coolest things I, I remember, Brian, I don't you probably maybe you don't remember this, maybe you do, is you told the story of the 300 men. But you told it in a way where I was like, this is a Bible story, but you're not saying the Bible story. You're not like you're, you're telling a different story, but it is the Bible story. And, and I, I really connected to it and, I, and it really drew me in. And I think for me personally, I, I, I want to create stories that invite people in, that draw people in, that hit the heart and the truth of the gospel, but don't have to be the gospel because a lot of, you know, a lot of people nowadays, they're like, oh, I heard that story. I heard that story. I don't uh, yeah, whatever. You know, don't lie, don't steal, don't cheat, don't murder. Yeah, 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 I got it. But then when you're able to weave a story into it, it really hits them in the heart. And that's that's truly what we should be doing as Christians, right? We should be connecting with people in the heart. Yeah, Second Corinthians says, You are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read by all men. Clearly, okay. you are an epistle of Christ ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the spirit of the living God, not on stone, but on flesh. That is of the heart. So how do, if we're a living epistle that are written and we overcome by the, the, our testimony and we know stories like uh, Chronicles of Narnia and uh, J.R. Tolkien's The Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit have affected our culture way beyond we could even possibly imagine but the roots of all of those stories is all in the bible it's all there all the roots of it are are all existing i'm not saying every aspect is true i'm saying the truths of it are all existing why don't we do that more why why is that not okay or is it okay you mean is it okay to use those stories to enter someone's frame yeah or recraft the story so it enters someone's frame yeah if we deeply understood a story you could rewrite it and it would still accomplish the same purpose and would draw you back to the original writing yeah i agree with that completely i think i just thought of this quote by Albert Einstein, it says, if you can't explain it simply, you don't understand it well enough. And I would almost argue from what you're saying, Brian, that you could say, if, um, if you can't tell it in a story, then you don't understand it well enough. Because I think, like, if you can't reform a truth into a story, then how do you know that you really understand it? Because you still know the truth is going to come through that story. Like when Jesus told the stories, he wasn't telling them the truth. He was telling the stories that he know contain the truth. And those are super powerful. Those like affect us today. The stories that J.R. Tolkien wrote have so much truth. Like those have affected my own life, <laughs> the movies, the books, everything. And I remember those stories. And then those truths affect me because those the stories have penetrated my heart. So I think there's something where like, it's almost like we're so concerned. I would say even being critical of myself of like, Oh, I have to have the facts and information. Right. And you have to say the right thing. Otherwise you're not really telling the truth when in reality, I think we can argue that it's the opposite where if you can't tell a story that has the truth in it, then you really don't know it and you're not communicating it well, because you're only trying to give the factual information that you understand in your brain so i think that's how i would uh, like change that quote from albert einstein i think it's still the same thing but if if you don't understand it well enough then you won't be able to tell it in the story on that research the the closing statement again i think you said it earlier caleb or tommy 
solid information in any form is good, but that's not necessarily enough. A vivid emotional story can give that extra push to make it feel more real and more important. If you look at the time somebody's beliefs have changed, not their just their ideas or not just their, their actions, but the times their beliefs have changed is often because of a story that hits them in the heart. Now, I, I know this isn't Christian literature I'm reading from. I'm trying to make a point just from a scientific point of how we're wired, and it is 1,000% consistent with Christianity. That's why Jesus said, why do you ask, why do you speak in parables? Another example would be, why do you speak in these stories? Why do you just tell these stories? Those who have ears to hear will hear. Yeah, I think what you were saying really was powerful, like that if you aren't able to communicate the truth in a story, then you really don't know the truth. And I guess I just want to re-emphasize that because a lot of times you can understand the facts of a story, but you don't let the truth impact you. You don't truth into you maybe it's because you don't think you're gonna you, you don't you don't fully understand what the story means or what what is going on in the story and you need to spend more time in that story because there's there's tons of stories in the bible where i could tell you the basic premise blah 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 blah. but do i know the truth could i relate that story to something else that could make an impact and i think I think that's what I'm going away with is that I don't know the truth if I can't communicate it through a story. Yeah, I completely agree. And what's interesting too is in the article, it says listeners in turn may keep thinking about the story and talk about it, talk to others about it, she says, which reinforces the memory and over time can drive a broader, broader change in attitudes. So even when we tell stories, basically what this article is saying is like, it reinforced the truth in us. So I think like the two big takeaways is listen to stories and tell stories because when you listen to stories, you receive truth. And when you tell stories, you had to think about that story and remember it. And it's actually reinforced in you. So I think like even the disciples, after they heard the stories from Jesus, or like, think about this, when the woman in the well left after Jesus had changed her life, she went and told the story of that. And I think how much more did that reinforce her life? of what Jesus had done in her when she's telling the story, like what you were saying earlier, Brian, with like our testimony that's connected to the bigger story. And that's in us. Like, I think, and I think stories are so huge because when we tell them, like it affects us as well as the listener. And we're reinforcing the truth in us by telling the stories because we actually have to know what it is. So I think that's such a big thing too listening to stories and telling stories. Caleb, can you, can you restate your, your thoughts from Einstein again, that Tommy was mentioning of what you said? Cause that was so mm-hmm. good. Yeah. So the original Einstein quote is if you can't explain it simply, you don't understand it well enough. And I would argue to say that if you can't tell it in a story, you don't understand it well enough. The same thing, but just replacing explain with story. In James, when it says, be a doer of the word and not a hearer only, deceiving yourselves, that word doer means poet, which means you have to absorb it, process it, live it, and then you give out, but it's your poem. One thing I wanted to point out to everybody is we're talking about telling stories. It doesn't mean that you have to be a writer or a grand storyteller like C.S. Lewis or Tolkien. In fact, when Paul's talking in 2 Corinthians, he means that your life is the story. So just get comfortable telling that story. If you don't have one yet in a spiritual sense, then that's that's one thing. You're at the beginning of that journey and enjoy it. But when you're looking at what's my role in influencing the people around me in the world, you don't you shouldn't necessarily jump to well, what Bible verses do I have memorized that I can quote to them and share? What's the story of your life that you've gone through 
that's impacted you because that by definition will impact other people. Some people will hate it and it won't matter to some people, but there are people that it will impact. So that's the story you tell. And maybe this is a bad example, but you know, instead of, you know, there's some crazy stuff going on in the world. Well, what's that verse? Uh, the peace that passes all understanding. So I'm going to repeat that and tell other people, well, we have the peace that passes all understanding. Maybe when things come up, you can just demonstrate and tell the story of, yeah, the world around me is in chaos, but I'm not like, I, there's just, there's peace inside of me. That's why I can live this way and act this way. And demonstrating that to people, not as if you're trying to prove something, but to just be okay. If that is your story and you're living that peace, just demonstrate that to people and then walk it out. And again, not let me quote this and try to conjure up the piece so that I can prove it to other people. Just let that be the outflow of your story. I've had so many people talk to me about that over the last few years because sorry, but I live in peace and it's not something I made up. It's not something I pretend to do. It's just, just what I am. And it does take effort too. Like sometimes you do have to sit there and think about it and practice it. One thing I also want to think about here too is like sometimes your stories don't get meaning until later but you still have to remember the story very true like i can think of times in my life where i remember certain stuff that happens and i'm like oh i finally get the meaning i finally understand the truth and that's when i'm like finally ready to share that story all right, everybody, we appreciate you tuning into this episode. And again, if you haven't listened to the one before this, go back and do it. And then you're going to have to listen to this one again, because they kind of go back to back and build on each other. So we appreciate you guys tuning in here. Um, leave some comments on the social medias or wherever you're listening to the podcast. Let us know what's standing out to you if you're getting anything from these discussions. And until next time, keep the faith and stay in the fight.